You're listening to episode 67 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing. Every week we tell stories about writers and discuss writing techniques. It's 22nd of October 2019 here at Dragon Hall in Norwich. I'm Simon Jones, Digital Marketing Manager here at the Centre, and I'm joined, as ever, by Communications Manager Steph McKenna. Hello, Simon. On the podcast today, we have Kate Griffin back talking to Ursa Sigurdardottir, who was here for Noirage back in September. Ursa was here as our first UNESCO City of Literature resident yes, in our exciting. cottage here, and they talk about staying in the cottage and trying to balance a working life with writing and how Ilsa has moved between crime and horror and children's writing. Mm. It's a really, really interesting chat. But before that, Steph, what are you reading? Oh, so I have just this, uh, well, yesterday finished reading Ed Parnell's new book. So I was familiar with Ed Parnell because he was one of our former Escalator writers and he wrote a book called The Listeners, which was very, very good. And I think that came out of Escalator actually, but he's back with a new book called Ghostland in search of a haunted country. This is a book that would just play, it just plays into all of my interests. Basically, it's sort of psychogeographical, uh, nonfiction book where Ed is going in search of um, landscapes around the British Isles, which have influenced uh, like a whole spectrum of literature and cinema, um, but sort of focusing on ghost stories, weird fiction, you know, everything from M.R. James to The Wicker Man. So there's a lot of sort of folk horror in there or literature that makes you feel quite uneasy. And he's looking at how, yeah, the British landscape has inspired these stories. Um, He's also talking about his own personal experiences with his family, because a lot of these trips were things that he used to do with his brother and with his family. So it's a really, really fascinating book. It's come out just the right time, time for Halloween, which is lovely. Ed had his book launch at the Book Hive last week, and it was just a really, really lovely event, actually. Really lovely, great reading, some really nice people there to chat to, and I definitely recommend the book for anyone who's interested in any of those topics. So did Ed talk to you beforehand? and ask you what book you wanted to read. Yeah, that's basically, I think he must have done that because there were points where I was just going, okay, this just feels like it's been written for me. It was really, yeah, really, really interesting. It's kind of a nice, yeah, drawing together of all of my interests, really. Ed will hopefully be on the podcast soon talking about this book. I've had a chat with him and he's really keen to do it. I think it'd be really interesting to hear about his journey from kind of fiction into non-fiction and how he compiled the research for this book because it's a meticulous book. There is so much in it in terms of very detailed research. Um, I really want to know, you know, how he, how that all came together because it must have just taken so much work. It's so well written. And he's also coming to UEA Live in December. Um, which is a free event that we're running here at Dragon Hall. And he will be headlining, he'll be reading from Ghostland. So very fitting before Christmas as well, a bit sort of MR James. Because we're at the end of October, Simon, I imagine you've been gearing up for NaNoWriMo again. Yeah, so NaNoWriMo is something that I always look at every year. This year, I'm definitely going to give it a go because I've finished my previous book and I'm going to be starting my next one. So it's a really good way to kickstart a project. Anyone not familiar with NaNoWriMo, this is National Novel Writing Month, which is a completely inadequate name for it because <laughs> it's very international. Yeah. <laughs> uh, started in America, but it's done everywhere now. And People around the world sit down and try to write 50,000 words in a month. And it's very much aimed at just getting the words down, giving people a a way to set aside all the usual excuses Mm. and just get on with doing it for one month and see where you end up. Um, Lots of writers 
use this to start their first drafts. Mm. Um, people then take their work, edit it, and you know, publish it. And one writer is Elizabeth Haynes, who we've had on the podcast a couple of times. Yeah. And if you go back to episode 19, you can find our NaNoWriMo primer from last year, which is still completely valid, in which Elizabeth talks about using NaNoWriMo to write some of her very successful crime novels. And I think the great thing about NaNoWriMo is that it's very low stress. Yeah. It's very casual. You can kind of set your own targets so that you know the aim is to write 50,000 words but if that sounds a bit scary just use the month as an excuse to do more writing than you normally do yeah I like that a lot if you're planning to do NaNoWriMo this year please do let us know because we'd love to hear about your progress through the month and we're also going to be putting out some resources through November so follow us on Twitter if you want to see what those are in the meantime here is our conversation between Kate and Ilsa Sigurdottir First of all, can you um, tell me how to pronounce your name? Ilsa. Ilsa. Sigurðardóttir. Sigurðardóttir. Yeah, yeah. And Ilsa is uh, originally, it's, it's derived from Ursa, mm-hmm. like like a, a female bear. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And the story behind the first woman named Ilsa is, is in the Danish uh, uh, sort of medieval uh, stories about kings and queens and I, I'm not sure what the, the English term is but it's a, a queen and she gives birth to a daughter and uh, she probably has uh, what do you call it when you get uh, after some women become very depressed after mm-hmm. having a Post-natal baby Post-natal depression. Yeah. Yes. and she probably had that because she hated the baby and she named the baby after her dog which was Issa so because <laughs> it would be understandably yes. you would name a a, a dog, something like bear or female bear, and uh, that's how the first Issa came to be. And and then she threw her in the woods, left her there, and it's just like a super dramatic story. And then her father comes into the woods and finds this beautiful young woman, and you know it's like one of these like super dramatic, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, but that's the first Issa, and she's called I think Issa the Queen, the Mother of Kings, because she she went on to to like have. Some kings, and, and I think it's a, of course it's myth- mythical, but but I like the story anyway. <laughs> it's a very nice yeah, story. Yeah. yeah, and you started off um, writing stories for children, didn't you? Yes, yeah. Starting, yeah. So I, I I had always just been a reader, and uh, as a kid I was just always reading. I loved reading. Uh, it was different then than it is now because you you went a lot to the library. Uh, I read all of my dad's books all of my mom's books and and I uh, I just I don't know I just think it's important to read and so when I my son was about eight I, I became very worried because he wasn't reading and I thought and I still think that um, if you read as a child you you were able to put yourself in situations through a book in a way that you can't in a mo- watching a movie or, or much less playing a computer game, because you enter the character's thoughts and, and so on. So, so you so you learn to by injecting yourself sort of into situations that you're not going to be in as a normal kid, then you become more empathetic or, or um, empathetic. Yes, and uh, so you're more likely to be a good person. You know, to be able to understand that not everybody you know. Uh, has it this way or that way, and then, and then so when my son was reading, I was so very worried that he would not be a good person, 
that he would be lacking this uh, empathy that you get from reading about them. So I had tried reading for him, and, and but the thing is, at the time, the books that were in fashion uh, were quite uh, grim in a way. They were... Uh, uh, teaching uh, every book had to teach children a lesson, and it seemed to me, you know, the lesson is just that life is really hard, and just get used to it, kid. You know, there was no hope or anything. There was one about, uh, yeah, one about a little boy who couldn't have his hold a birthday party because his parents were alcoholic. You know, that type of thing. And you're like, come on, you know, an eight-year-old kid needs to to be able to read adventures and and, and enjoy, you know, just enjoy life, and so. So I, I decided to write uh, a book for, for kids that just wanted to have fun reading. And it wasn't completely lacking in uh, um, uh, like moral guidance, if you will. But, but it wasn't, it was more like that every, everybody should be, um, uh, that, it's, that uh, everybody should be themselves in a way. And, and, and they were situation comedies and... Yeah, and so I wrote five of those, and uh, and I, I am sure that I will one day write another children's book, but uh, that day is not today. Though. <laughs> and did your son start reading? No, he did not. He did not read them. But did he become? <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. And then, uh, and I also thought that if uh, if you don't read as a child, you yeah. won't read as an adult. But then, when I started being published uh, abroad. Mm. I, I was a lot on uh, panels and going to, to book uh, events where, where I was sent a lot of books to read and I just didn't have the time to do it. So I paid him money to read the books and tell me about what they were and, and so on and try to kind of give me a report. And this uh, made him into a reader. And now he reads a lot and, and he doesn't read the same type of books that I, I would read. He reads uh, science fiction and... and, and uh, sort of Game of Thrones and that mm. type of thing. But, you know, he's reading, and, 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 and I was really, really pleased. And now he's always reading. <laughs> so my theory on if you don't read as a kid, you don't read as an adult, that, that is not correct, which is good. Well, it's good to I know don't have to pay anymore to read. He just reads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then you started writing crime. What made you move from children's books yeah, to I, crime fiction? I won the... Icelandic uh, Children's Literary Prize for a book that I didn't really like very much. Uh, uh, the ones that I've written before were, in my mind, much, much better. And and I just sort of thought, okay, you know, if this book is good, then, well, I don't really know what I'm doing. Uh, uh, maybe I should just stop. And it was also, there were humor, and I was just very, very tired of being funny, because funny is much harder than being uh, awful. Mm. Uh, Awful is an endless, you know, endless pool of things. But funny is like a tightrope. It's very easy to go overboard and be just ridiculous. And it's also very easy to, to uh, uh, like, not hit the mark at all. So, so it's, it's a much more, it's a much finer art than, than being horrible. And so I was tired of, tired of that. And, and I also, I also... I took a two-year break, and I also wanted to write for a more mature audience mm. because when you write for kids, you, there are things, topics that you, you don't approach them in the same way as you would with a grown-up. Grown-ups are jaded. There's nothing I can write to, to make a grown-up uh, a worse person, you know. But mm. uh, but for a kid, you really have to to be careful what you how you approach things. And also, you write for kids, the grown-ups 
if there was a grown-up in the book, if a, if a child is reading a book and there's a grown-up in the book, they don't really like grown-ups in books, in their in their books. Mm. So grown-up has to be very, very exaggerated. It has to be like super ridiculous or super bad or super, you know, they're very exaggerated, not very realistic characters. And, and, and I just wanted to write about uh, more realistic grown-up characters. <laughs> so I did that, so I swapped. And I, and I haven't... Uh, uh, I'm going to take a year off work now, and, and the plan is to try to to uh, write one one grown-up book and one kids book at the same time. So that's we'll see. Yeah. We'll see if that works. <laughs> and your current series, um, the Hulter and Freya. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, Freya is a child psychologist, and um, the books seem very much about kind of childhood and the repercussions of. What happens yeah. in childhood? Yeah. It's, uh, so, so it's, uh, I'm writing presently the sixth book in this mm. series. And, and I've only got to book three. Is book four coming out in It's coming out English next year, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, so it's about a, a duo. One is a uh, policeman. And this is, I think this is the first book where I write the protagonist as a policeman. I've written mm. one where there was a, there were three kind of different storylines. And one was a policeman. But this is uh this is like a policeman sort of in the in the, the foreground. And I didn't want to write just about police because I'm not very interested in the procedural part mm-hmm. of it. I, I don't really care how you take a fingerprint. That's not interesting to me. And so I wanted also to have a female counterpart. And, and uh, so I, I made up this character who is a, a, a... She is a child psychologist working for for the state. We have a, in Iceland this... Uh, it's called the Children's House. And... And it's mostly used when children are um, have been uh, involved in, in in like as victims of, of 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 abuse and things like this. But in my book, it's taken on a little further, and it's also used to to uh, to try to talk to to children that are witnesses and so on mm-hmm. in, in other cases. And the thing that this children's house does very very well, in particular for children that have. Uh, have been abused uh, is that they don't have to go uh, to the police station to the hospital to the, everything is done in mm. within this one building this is like a regular house mm. and there they will have the the medical checkup there they will speak to a psychologist and they will never have to see a policeman or uh, even a judge or, or much less the guilty party once it comes to to court because it's all done through CCTV or, or two-way mirrors. So, mm. so the psychologist fed the questions and, and, and will take the questions and turn them, make them, uh, um, in, in, turn them kind of around so that the child is not provided the answer. Because children will, if, if, if there's a grown-up that they don't know very well, and if they know what, you're, what the answer is you're mm. trying to get, they will give you that answer. So, so they have a special way of, of asking questions without giving anything away about what you expect the child to say. And so, so the first book is about a little girl who, um, whose mother is killed. When she's hiding under the bed and the mother is killed on top of the bed. And she doesn't want to talk. So, so she is, uh, that's how Freya yeah. enters the equation, that she is the one trying to talk to the child with the police, you know, on the other side of the, the two-way mirror. Mm. Uh, 
And then in the next book, the thing is, I don't, I didn't want to be always repetitive. Mm-hmm. So, so I've used things that are sort of happening in in uh, society with there being uh, um, complaints about um, there's not enough connection between the child protection services and the police and so on. So Thora, no, so Freya sort of becomes the liaison for the police mm-hmm. in various other matters and is asked to to sort of give. Um, help them assist them in, in cases where it's obvious that there's some psychologically something psychologically wrong somewhere so it's not always her interviewing a child not mm-hmm. at all and uh and, and in this last book that i'm writing now she works for the police she's, she's stopped working at this um and and is sort of there trying to find something to do because you know she's more like a, a put in place just to to keep everyone happy and then yeah and this is this is actually i think the last book in that series so yeah right yeah and so with the next book um will that be a standalone or a new series the one that i write next i think it's going to be a standalone definitely yeah and it's probably going to be a horror novel so i've written one it's clearly a ghost horror story and mm-hmm. one that sort of does you don't really know it's kind of uh it's sort of on the edge, uh, and that I'm not sure what it was called in English, but I remember you, the horror novel. That that was the one that's that's a ghost story and mm-hmm. doesn't pretend to be anything else. Um, and that was probably my my biggest success uh, uh, because people really like that book. It, it's quite uh, came as a very big surprise to me because uh, as a writer you don't scare yourself. You know mm-hmm. you can you can. Uh, Try to scare other people, but you really can't scare yourself. Not after all the editing, you know. It's just it's lost all the magic when when you're reading it the last time. And and I was just so worried that it was just not scary at all. But uh, apparently, it it's uh, it it worked out well. <laughs> so I haven't wanted to write another one because I I I feel that whatever I do is always going to be compared to that book, and people expect probably or. That the best thing for me to do would be to 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 copy the the setup of that book because that's um it's the only book that I've written using my engineering uh, with a graph in mind mm-hmm. and uh, and and what it does is that it takes on what I perceive as as thriller like I see a thriller the difference between a thriller and a crime novel being that in a crime novel you sort of start off with the worst thing happening and then and then mm-hmm. you slowly move towards uh, resolution mm-hmm. but in a thriller you start off with everything good and then you then you the closer you get to the end there's always this event or there's something that's you don't know what's going to happen is it going to happen is it not going to happen mm-hmm. and the closer you get to the end the more um, the level of excitement will rise so i thought if i if i run these two side by side have two stories that seemingly don't connect at all mm-hmm. One with crime elements, one with horror elements. Then, then I will keep the level of suspense quite high mm-hmm. through the book, and, and and that's this that's this ghost story, <laughs> and it worked. It worked. So, uh, but I don't like I said I don't want to, I don't like repeating myself. And 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 every, any author, every author, uh, what you don't want is to write a bad book, much less mm-hmm. a copied book. So so I have to think of some other way to, to to make uh, the horror novel. The, be that it's clear that I'm not I'm not going down the same avenue as I've done before. Sometimes, as a reader, you want 
oh, this is, I like this, I would want more of this. Yes, yes. But if you're, you're given more of this, wants more of it yes. as well. <laughs> but if you're given more of this constantly, yeah. in the end, you will get really mm. tired of it and, mm. and, and, and go somewhere else. And I'm sure that the writer who would be chasing this uh, idea would also uh, get very tired of writing it. You want to, you want to evolve. You want to um, get better, and, and of course, there will come a time where you don't. Mm. And uh, and that's also something that's uh, it's very important to to uh, keep in mind, and especially like in Iceland, where there, are, I think it's it's well, I don't think I know. It's me and uh, Arnaldur that are mm-hmm. sort of the, the top selling uh, writers, and and now there's Ragnar Jonasson as well. And you have to keep in mind that this is not going to last forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you're going to be you know the top seller, and then you're not, and 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 if you're not ready to to uh, if that's if that would for me be something that I, I I'm really dreading, then I think it would be time to stop. I mean, it's nobody is um, no matter what you do. I think you're never going to be the best in your craft or whatever endlessly. Mm. You know, and 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 to keep. For example, the, for example, the crime genre uh, thriving. There needs to be new people entering the scene and and and, and young people and bringing it in. But that that is uh, incredibly, uh, I find, difficult in Iceland. That people are very, um, like everywhere, I guess, that they stick to to the the ones that are there. And it's hard for young authors mm. to to like to be up and coming, I guess. So that's not good. But me and Dr. Jonasson, we, uh, because of this, because it's so hard to, and, and, and if it's hard in Iceland, I, I can't imagine how hard it would be in a, in a country the size of, of the UK, that we came up with a prize for first uh, crime novel that we, that we uh, provide once a year with our publisher. And what, what it does is it gives this uh, first-time crime writer you know, the boost to, to be able to at least, you know, be, have interviews and so mm. on, so they get recognition uh, uh, for their first book. And, and then, you know, hopefully they will take it from there. And we've had, uh, the first winner was uh, a woman named Eva, and she is going to be coming out in uh, the UK in the fall. So that's... Oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think if, if that prize had not been there, I don't think she would have been noticed as much as she she deserves so so we're very very happy with what has come out of uh come out of it because one of the it's it's a money prize and then it also uh this writer is taken on by um by david who's uh Ragnar's agent here in, in the uk mm-hmm. so so that's that's like a very very important thing for writers and i send to be published abroad because the market in Iceland is really not big enough to to Sustain a living by, by selling books. So. And you've been published in English translation for a long time now. Yes, you? for, I think, uh, ever since my first grown-up novel came out, that I've been published mm. every year, yes. And I, that would be 12 years mm. or something, yeah. And do you work, I mean, how involved are you in the translation? Do you work with your translators at all? Do they ask you questions? They ask questions, yes. And, mm. uh, well, the good ones ask questions, <laughs> <laughs> the one that I worry about are the ones that never ask anything because there's always going to be something that's that's. Uh, mm-hmm. And my favorite is uh, Victoria Cribb. Yes. She she uh, translates into English, and she is just fantastic. And and 
And she has a very, very keen eye for noticing things that, because I write for the Icelandic mm-hmm. audience. And so there are always going to be things that I don't have to explain mm-hmm. to an Icelandic person. But for, for the, the foreign reader, then, I mean, it will make no sense. Some of the things that, uh, that are very, very local or, mm-hmm. or so on. And she has just, oh, she has such a great eye for noticing these places. And she's also a very very good editor when it comes to like wait a minute you know you said this year this year i said people are not good at that at all <laughs> so she will if there's anything anything amiss she will she will catch it so so i i i really really enjoy uh, working with her yeah she's translating your current series isn't yes she, she is yes. yeah yeah and she's translating art and so yeah yes. She must be very busy. She is, yes. And, <laughs> and for example, Eva, this new newcomer, mm. uh, you know, she unfortunately she was too uh, uh, overloaded to take her on. So, mm. so we need more people to translate in Icelandic. You mentioned your work as an engineer, um, but then you also mentioned that you're taking a year off from yeah. engineering. And one of my questions was going to be about how you balance your writing and the engineering. Yeah, I. Uh, I've worked. I worked full time in the beginning, uh, you know, just and it was not a problem mm. at all. Maybe because it is a bit different. If if I had been, for example, a reporter in a magazine or, or news reporter, mm. writing text a lot, I think I, it would probably be more difficult to go home after a full mm. day of work and then start writing, keep keep writing because it would be like a much longer work day. But my engineering job didn't involve writing. Uh, 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 creative text so uh, engineering is creative though it is but mm. uh, but it's not you know sitting down and writing text and so I think uh, because of that it was easy to do both my kids were not babies you know not small children and and, and so it was never any issue to work a full full day or full job and then write a book a year but then <clears throat> When I started getting published more in more uh, countries and things, I started doing a lot of traveling, and that just makes it physically impossible to work a full job because I'm not in Iceland enough mm. to to uh, to work a full job. And then I started, you know, chopping off. Okay, I'll work a little less, less, less. And at one point, I I said in an interview in Iceland that I th- I was probably working fifty percent. Mm. And so when I came to my job, they said, "Well, oh really now?" So you're working 50%. So where are you working other than here? Because you're certainly not, you know, giving us a 50% input. <laughs> so it was, it just increasingly fell. And now I'm at the point where I think, okay, I'm going to take a, a year off uh, to see if that's something that I could imagine myself doing, just writing. I, I don't think that I will, that will be uh, something that I will enjoy. I mean, I, I'll probably enjoy it, but I'll probably put, put the writing off a lot and think, oh, I'll just do it tomorrow and so on. But but the thing is, I, I actually really like my job. Mm. But, and, and part of the reason why I'm going to take a break is that I find that because I am so much away and it's become such a small um, uh, part of my work or part of my, my, my life that I'm not doing as good a job as I should be doing. And... And if you, you know, spend the whole day working and then you think, oh, you know, uh, then you feel bad because you would have wanted to do more or something, then that's not a good mm-hmm. feeling. So I'm going to try this year off thing and then uh, and then, then we'll see. Maybe maybe this year off thing will end with me 
going back to a bigger um, uh, bigger job bit, like maybe yeah. up to sixty percent, and and cutting off the traveling mm. more. So, but it's it's a it's going to be interesting to see how it works out for me, because what, always when I'm writing in the fall, when my deadline is, uh, I, I get very very engrossed in the book and I. And then when I come back to work, it's just like, oh, I love this place. It's so nice that I kiss the floor when I come in. I'm just, oh, because it's so different. It's not the same. Uh, uh, when you're working on projects, you know, you're a part of a team and, and nobody associates you personally with with with, uh, with it. And it's just very, very different. And, and you get like uh, interactions from people and you're not on your own. And, and constantly worried about uh, that you're not doing it good enough and, and that type of thing. So, so it is, writing is a, a, a very emotional roller coaster and, mm. and, and working uh, like a normal job isn't. So, yeah. And you mentioned that you're going to be writing two books during yes, the Yes, that's where one I'm, for that's adults yeah. and one for children. Yeah. What made you decide to go back to writing for children again? I wanted to for quite a time, but I, I, I haven't been able to uh, do it and work, you know, it's just too much. And and I just, I, I just feel the need to do it. And, and I also think, because what I've done is I tend to get tired, I, I want to change things constantly. So I wrote, for example, the first series is only six books and then I, I just couldn't write anymore. Mm. And, I, and I think... Uh, like I said, for me and every author, if, you, if you're writing something that you really are not interested in, mm. you just, you know, run. Don't, don't do it. <laughs> you know, because that's, that's not, uh, that's never going to be uh, good. And, and so I, I, I wrote the, the, that series and then I wrote uh, some standalones and I enjoyed that a lot because standalones, you know, all of the characters are disposable. You can do whatever you want. You know, it's, it's, I, I really like, like the, <laughs> Standalones, and among those standalones was was, was this uh, horror novel, mm. and I, I'm I'm a big fan of horror, good horror, which is not there's not too much good mm. horror unfortunately out there, and uh, and then like this new this series that I'm writing now and finishing off that's I'm writing the sixth book and I feel now like okay I'm gonna do this one and and then I'm gonna stop before I get tired of them and mm. and so so now I'm kind of thinking oh. I spoke to my editor yesterday. I'm like, oh, I'm thinking of like having a sniper outside the police station, <laughs> and just you know, like, it'll end that the sniper is going to kill two people. You don't know who they are, which which of the, the mm. these uh, characters. But of course, I'm not going to. That's so such a weird <laughs> scenario for Iceland that that's never going to work. But I'll find a way, mm. or just you know, just end it, and 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 that's it. Mm. And that's how I ended my other series. Then I I wasn't sure if I would come back or not, mm. and and. and but I think it's it, it keeps you fresh if you if you if you don't uh, get stuck somewhere. Mm. But uh, yeah, so and well, I'm very you... very happy that my publishers uh, allow me to do this. You know, allow mm. me. I mean, I I can understand from a uh, from a commercial point of view that it's better to uh, because I I get some some of my readers get upset like when it, all of a sudden one of the books is a horror novel. Mm. You know. Because also as a book buyer, that when you take a book out of a shelf, you, you think you know what you're getting. And so it's not maybe the smartest thing marketably to, to, to jump around like I'm doing. But, but that's it's just the way it has to be. 
So and with the internet, I mean, people can Google mm. and find out what. To, yeah. So I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I I I want everyone who buys a book from me to be happy with the book. I mean, that's never going to happen to anybody. <laughs> but still, that's what you want. That's what you aim for. That somebody because books are expensive, mm. and that if somebody, you know goes to the effort to go to a bookshop, buy your book, then you don't want them to be like very, very disappointed. So that's what you strive for. <laughs> Thanks again to Kate and Ursa for that fascinating chat. Before we go, I just want to give a quick shout out to our TLC ACE free read scheme, which is currently open at the moment. Uh, each year we partner with the Literary Consultancy and Arts Council England to offer a free manuscript assessment to writers of low income. So if you're a writer, but you suffer from uh, financial barriers and you find that this is stunting your progress and you couldn't otherwise afford a professional manuscript assessment, this is a really, really great scheme for you. So if you go over to the website, it's nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk, you will find TLC free reads on the home screen. Have a read of that and see if it's something you'd be interested in applying for. Um, the... The application deadline is midday on Friday the 15th of November, so you've still got lots of time. And this particular scheme that uh, we're working with TLC on is open to writers that live in the east of England. So that's Bedfordshire, Hertfordshire, Essex, Cambridge, Suffolk and Norfolk. However, if you're not from one of those areas and you live elsewhere in the country, do not fret. If you go to the TLC website and look up their free read scheme, all of the other regional literature development agencies in the country do run a similar scheme to this. So find out which one is your local organisation and hopefully they'll be running the same thing for you. The best way to find out about all these kind of opportunities is to join our newsletter, which you can do so over on the website as well. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writer Centre and search for our page on Facebook. If you want to send me and Steph any questions, you can find me on Twitter at Tarnamus and Steph. I am at Steph X McKenna. Please do subscribe to the podcast and review it if you get a moment. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and any good podcast app. Thanks for listening, keep writing, and we'll catch you on the next episode.